Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. My name is Scott Lewis. I'm the editor-in-chief at Voice of San Diego and the host of Good Schools for All and the Voice of San Diego podcasts. If you're interested in sponsoring one of our podcasts and associating your company's name or message with the great shows we produce, please let us know. Contact Aaron Zlotnick at Aaron at voiceofsandiego.org. That's E-R-I-N at voiceofsandiego.org. Today's podcast is sponsored by San Diego-based MindTouch, a cloud-based software that helps companies take product documentation and turn it into a customer engagement channel that educates buyers and creates product experts to grow revenue. With MindTouch, you can create a self-service customer experience with your documentation that increases customer success and improves sales and marketing. Here at Voice of San Diego, we have a soft spot for MindTouch because its co-founder and chief technology officer, Steve Bjorg, is one of our loyal supporters and tech advisors. If you're looking for a way to improve customer experience, check out MindTouch.com. My mom says my neighborhood school isn't good enough. How am I supposed to know my kids are getting the best education possible? Welcome to Good Schools for All, a podcast from the investigative news organization Voice of San Diego and the Education Synergy Alliance. We cut through the jargon and polarized debate to get you the news and ideas that matter. Good schools are at the heart of our democracy and economy, and we're about good schools for all kids. We hope you'll learn and maybe teach us something. It should be an excellent school in every community. Enjoy the show. And my name is Scott Lewis from The Voice of San Diego. And I'm Laura Cohn. Hi, Laura. Hello, Scott. So I took the kids out of school. I took the, took the boy out of school for a few days. Did you? For what amazing and important purpose? To go camping by the beach. <laughs> that is important. I figured um, I was I was really, un- we were, well, I wasn't uncomfortable. We were uncomfortable taking him out of school because there's a lot of pressure not to do that, you know? Mm-hmm. But then I got over it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because there's... It really doesn't matter. No, it's fantastic. And, yeah. you know, I think that, I think that like 70% of what my son needs is like physical activity, you know, I think. And so I, th- I was actually pretty happy with that, the level of that, that he got while we were out there and we, we hunted for crabs and played a lot. And, and there was a big sand bank that we played King of the Hill on him nice. and I, I let him win a little bit. Kids need to be outside. It's really, it's wonderful to watch what happens when you spend time with them outside. Yeah. I was going to ask you, are there, just, are there like experiments in, in, uh, you know, a lot more recreation and recess going on? Like I have to wonder for some of these kids, it seems like a lot of what they're dealing with could be improved if they just moved more. Yeah. Yeah. There is, there's, there is a lot of discussion about that, about the need to include recess in young children's days. It's, it started to get pushed out by mm-hmm. misguided ideas about academics and we are understanding 
better now that when kids get outside and move and play, it's yeah. play as part of it, that they end up uh, being smarter when they get back in the classroom. They've spent out some of the energy, just like you were talking about, but also exploring and playing is developmentally and cognitively healthy thing to do. So yeah, there's talk about that. There's also talk about out, about outdoors education, not just the um, celebration of uh, Kuyamaka's 100th anniversary, right. but, um, the sixth grade trips. Right? Yeah. It's an amazing asset for, uh, for our region, but, um, other things as well. I know that the leash tag foundation is a really big fan of, um, out, outside schooling and, um, has funded a few experiments with it around our County. Uh, so yeah, it's a, it's a great idea. And then there's an organization that I'm a huge fan of called Playworks. It's a national organization, but located up in Oakland and they do a lot to promote the power of play Mm -hmm. and what they do is they send uh, AmeriCorps members to schools to help supervise recess and help organize it help kids get along with one another and learn about problem solving techniques they can use out on the playground so that when kids come in from recess they're not bringing in playground conflicts back to the classroom. I'm really just making a high-minded argument for the fact that I wanted to serve for three days. <laughs> so, uh, no, it was good. He came back. I swear he got bigger during the trip, uh, but we it was a lot of fun. And, and we, uh, you know, it was awkward for me because part of the reason we did it in October was because I was just late booking the... the reservations for beach camping you got to be on the ball on that stuff it's yeah it fills it fast and so we're in the middle of an election season which was made it even more awkward for me but i got through it but uh what we wanted to talk about today was a lot of the local education issues on the ballot you you might not even realize some of them are related to education especially in the city of san diego there's one in particular that stands out, but uh, there's a lot of things that are directly related to education and to schools. And so we're going to do our best to just have a conversation about some of them, um, highlight some resources for you out there to look at so you can dive a little bit deeper into some of these conversations. And and uh, I might even push Laura a little bit to reveal some of her own perspective and bias on some of this. I did want to talk about um, something really quickly. You have some news of your own. I do. The uh, organization that I've been leading for the past three years, the Education Synergy Alliance, um, we had to make the decision to suspend operations last month. So that is uh, the work that we were doing, especially around P3 education. We're in dialogue with several entities uh, around town about sustaining that work and making sure it continues to grow. And so I'm excited about those conversations because I think uh, early education will flourish as an idea and as a priority in our community um, in new hands. And I'm looking at new ventures that I hope to be able to talk about soon. Good. Well, there is nothing that I get more feedback uh, about in this sh- about this show or about anything in education that I've done as much as that discussion about the, the shock of kindergarten and the transition from uh, pre-K to kindergarten and just, you know, a lot of the equity issues involved with that, that's like, it just really touched a nerve. A lot of people very concerned and interested in that topic. So that's I great. think we'll have a lot of fodder for the future on that. But also, let me just ask you, what was the Education Synergy Alliance's mission and, and what can we do to support it? 
The mission was to help San Diegans, um, who are all of us stakeholders in the public education system, to find ways to come together around some really big, important ideas related to public education. And uh, so creating a center of energy, if you will, and uh, and some urgency for change. And the big issues that we dug in on, one was career pathways, uh, specifically linked learning early on, and then our the last year and a half or so um, really focused on this early education, prenatal to third grade work, which engages both the school districts, but also the early education community, nonprofits, universities, funders, et cetera. So it was exciting and fun work. Our partners are really disappointed that we weren't able to sustain the organization over the long term. Um, but I know it, it had an impact. I know that the work we started is going to find a way to continue. And um, we'll, I, I'm coming up with new ways to cool. help education in San Diego. I think one of the cool things about you is you know so many people too. And so we will do our best to take advantage of that over the next few months. You're going to keep doing this show. We're going to keep working on new topics, right? Absolutely. All right, good. Well, let's start. So before we start, I wanted to add, if you want a full rundown of all the 17 ballot measures on the state ballot, now, just for clarification, they call ballot measures on the state ballot propositions, and they call ones on the local ballots measures. They're the same thing, but as a way to distinguish state versus local, they're calling the state propositions and the local measures. And so... For the 17 state propositions. And furthermore, the state ones have numbers and the local ones have letters. Exactly. So that's another way to clue yourself in. Right. So for the 17 state propositions, the one really great resource you might consider is our sister podcast, San Diego Decides. Rye Rivard and Sarah Libby did an awesome tag team sort of rundown of all the 17 ballot measures. And it was really helpful. It was like 45 minutes, 50 minutes in a podcast. I listened to it in two car trips and felt extremely um, more informed than I was before about those topics and those measures. And so we're going to talk about some of the school issues here. But if you want the full rundown, search San Diego Decides on your podcast machine and uh, and you'll see it right there, all 17 ballot measures. That, was, that podcast was listened to like four or five times more than any of the other ones they've done. It's been a really valuable... People <laughs> are just swimming. We all need help, yeah. I'm planning to listen to it with my ballot in front of me, actually. <laughs> um, but this this podcast, we're going to really focus on... We know our audience are all people who care about and think about education mm-hmm. and are education voters. You all are education voters. And so as you're looking at your ballot and you want to... Um, um, honor the passion that you feel. You have enough interest to be listening to our podcast, so you must have enough interest to want to vote smartly on education-related issues on the ballot. So we're gonna we're gonna run through it. And since half the state budget or more um, is spent on education, it's not a surprise that a good proportion of your two-card ballot that you'll be filling out um, is is related to education. What are your priorities as an education voter when you look at some of these things? Well, my main, I think the number one thing that that I would say to folks is to vote on the education-related issues. It's tempting to skip things that you don't know a lot about, and um, you might find yourself feeling not so uh, savvy about some of the school board races, for example, or the school bond measures. But um, take the time to educate yourself. We'll do. We'll you know we'll help give you a little bit of a head start here, but, um, and actually weigh in. Mm -hmm. That's, that's my number one piece of advice. Right. All right. First up proposition 51. 
Base, this is uh, very interesting. I think a lot of people are intimidated by the word bond. Whenever they see the word bond, their eyes glaze over and it's just a, it's just a, it's some of these concepts are hard and, and podcasts are actually infamous for not being able to communicate sizes of money and numbers very well. So okay. let's just do our best here. Basically, okay. this authorizes the state to borrow about $9 billion. So um, total, it would, you know, it'd be about $17 billion over after they, as they pay it off. Basically, the state is being is asking voters to allow it to borrow enough so much money that they would have to pay about five hundred million dollars back per year over the next thirty five years. So basically, we would go to all these Wall Street guys, all these people trying to put their money somewhere to make it work, and ask them for billions of dollars, and we would pay five hundred million dollars back per year. One important thing to remember: this does not actually increase taxes which in, I think to some people would be a benefit. And I think to others, it would it would change their perception of this because it doesn't actually create more money for schools. It basically just authorizes the state to borrow this much money, again, and pay back about $500 million per year. Scott, uh, I, I want to make sure to be clear for our listeners that uh, later we'll be talking about local bond measures. Right. And for those, there is a tax increase often, associated yeah. with it. Um, often, and I think this year for all the ones that we'll be looking at, but for this Prop 51, it's authorizing the state to borrow money and it is not asking us as taxpayers to pay more taxes in order to fund the repayment of those bonds. Exactly. So yeah, exactly. Local measures often raise, you know, the property tax by something like $60 per $100,000 of assessed property. So if you have a $400,000 assessed value home, your property taxes would go up $60 per $100,000 of that. So 60 times 400 or four is 24, $240, right? Yeah. So, so in that example, most of them are much less than that this right. year. We'll talk about it later. Right. So uh, the state one though does not increase property taxes or any tax. This is Prop 51. It's just borrowing. Now, a lot of the money then would then get doled out to school districts based on their applications for it. Mm -hmm. So some of the money can be used for charter schools. Some of the money can be used for facilities or purchasing land. And the state most often would need a match from local funds for that. So in other words, if you, if we raised taxes here for a school bond, we could, you know, package some of that and request you know, 50% of, of the rest of the cost of a project from the state from this fund. Right. And so from a local perspective, the opportunity to, uh, you know, like it's always great to get matching funds that makes people donate to public radio, for example, <laughs> or, or to Voice of San Diego. And that's basically what it can amount to. If, if you're inclined to vote for a school bond or previously have voted for a school bond, then the existence of the state pot allows our local taxation to get amplified with these state dollars. Mm -hmm. There are new rules for um, technological education and charter school facilities, but uh, most of the rules are the same as before. This is the first bond of its type since uh, to be passed by voters or would be passed since 2006, so about 10 years. Now it has, uh, let's talk about some of the pros and cons. Some of the pros arguments are that they, they we need to provide some of these matching funds to help uh, facilitate the construction of needed facilities in different areas. Mm -hmm. uh, and a lot of the people who support this measure are the people who would build those facilities. And they're <laughs> uh, helping fund a lot of this. Opponents include Governor Jerry Brown, 
who who says it uh, is unfair to smaller, poorer school districts who won't be as well organized to apply for some of these funds and may not have some of the matching funds or whatever to make it happen. So it's, uh, you know, but if you if you care deeply about schools and school funding and for these facilities, not teachers, but for facilities, then it might provide a needed or, or interesting matches. Yeah, I mean, basically what I see is that it's not a perfect measure. I wish it did a better job of, of supporting the smaller districts and the less well-funded districts. Um, but it is, uh, we clearly need to invest in our school and education infrastructure. Some of this funding would go to community colleges as well. And uh, so I'm leaning towards supporting it. The California State PTA, both political parties, California political parties and the School Boards Association are all um, among the supporters alongside the construction and building trades. Yeah, and Mayor Kevin Faulkner even signed on, the San Diego Mayor Kevin Faulkner. The UT, the Union Tribune, the newspaper actually opposed it as saying, among other things, that it does nothing to correct problems with the distribution of state money and uh, and doesn't uh, allow for reforms um, to handle some of those they call flaws about how districts line up for these, these dollars and yeah. such. It's, it's tough. I mean, this is true on a lot of propositions we'll be voting on, not just in education, but it may not be the perfect one that you would ideally have written. Maybe legislation would have been a better way, although I guess we can't do bonds by legislation in California, but in any event, the legislative process sometimes ends up with a better product than the proposition prop uh, approach. But if we say no to this, then we're waiting at least two years. And um, I think we mentioned it, but I just want to be clear that the state coffers right now are empty. So there's no funding for facilities available to districts from the state level at this time because they've spent through all their prior bond funding. Right. We good on Prop 51? Yeah, I'm, I hope I hope our listeners are, too. <laughs> All right, Prop 55. Uh, many of you will remember 2010, much different economic situation that we were in. Governor Jerry Brown and others pushed hard for tax increase, a package of tax increases for, in particular, education, and they won. And those two tax increases, one was a small uh, sales tax increase and the other was a tax increase on wealthy income um, for those who make more than $250,000 individually or more than $500,000 combined. And that money mostly funded to education, but uh, that's... Well, I mean, it went into the general fund, yeah. and most of the general fund goes to education. So it's kind of interesting. The proponents of Prop 30 and now of Prop 55 make it sound like it's an education-specific measure but it isn't. It's just more funding for our general fund. But because of a previous proposition, Prop 98, um, that governs how um, our budget is allocated, we're assured that uh, uh, more than half of any general fund revenues will be allocated to education before anything else is paid for. Mm -hmm. Prop 55 also has um, a carve out for Medi-Cal. And so this is new. Aside from what Prop 98 already um, assures for education, it gives um, after the new revenue pays um, or after the state is can assure that we're supporting the level of uh, programming that the state currently is supporting, any remainders, 50% of the remainders would go to Medi-Cal. So there's um, hope for the, for the health fields that Medi-Cal would get a bump out of the Prop 55 also. Right. And just to clarify just what this tax increase would 
be or it, again this would just sort of keep things the way they are but right, prop it's a 30 continuation yeah prop 30 was meant to um expire and this would inc- or uh set it in place for let's see how long it's like two more decades right till 2030 yeah an so, extra an extra 12 years the uh the extra taxation on the top income earners was going to expire in 2018 but now it would extend it to 2030 right so so without this uh, the basic sort of uh, a tax. So if you're making say $300,000 a year without this consideration, you'd be paying 9.3% on that with proposition 30, you increased nothing. If you, if you went up to, I'm sorry, you get, you had had 1%. If you, um, if let's say you make total between you and your spouse, $750,000, you would pay that 9.3%. And then in this additional 2%, on top of that. And so that would just continue for the next uh, couple of decades. Yeah. Another, an extra 12 years. Um, so, and then just to be really clear though, it does not continue the extra quarter cent sales tax. So right. the, the sales tax would revert, I think actually uh, really soon after 2016, that quarter cent sales tax expires. So it only sustains the, uh, the tax on the top income earners and then adds this carve out for Medi-Cal. Right. So one more thing on Prop 55 is that the complaint that these taxes were intended to be temporary and to go away, um, well, we we did vote them in as temporary taxes, and now the voters are being asked if they want to extend them. So the I, I just don't resonate to the it's not fair argument. Or if people want to continue them, if the people of California want to continue them, then they then they'll continue them. But the San Diego Chamber does oppose Prop 55 on the basis of the of the it's not fair it was supposed to expire well as does the california chamber of commerce and i think a lot of the arguments against these sorts of things come back to well there's a lot of other things we should fix and these are our leverage opportunities to fix those things they're not being fixed now we should do something about that and so you could make an argument for example that a lot of this money is just simply used to make sure that there's enough money to provide across the board increases to teacher salaries as opposed to, uh, you know, more liberally giving those out or more merit-based giving those out or, or more, you know, or reforms built into them, or we're missing opportunities to, um, to reform the system as something like this comes up as opposed to just simply pouring more money into it. True enough. It, it is not a policy measure. It's a revenue measure. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, again, a couple of the California chambers against it, uh, the Union Tribune came out against it, um, and uh, of course Jerry Brown is in favor of it. And uh, actually, he's neutral. Is he? He's neutral, right? Because he he put himself out there saying that the Prop Don't 30 worry, was was temporary. was temporary. So he's he's staying neutral on it. Interesting. Okay, yeah. thank yeah. you. You're welcome. All right, I know this next one is something you're pretty passionate about. Proposition 58. Why don't you uh, explain that one? Proposition 58, I am very passionate about this one. It uh, amends the former Proposition 227, which uh, California voters approved a little over a decade ago that restricted school districts from uh, doing bilingual education unless uh, parents of English learners sign a waiver. And the new proposition restores flexibility to districts so that they can uh, pick the approach for teaching English learners that they think is going to be most successful. There's been a good amount of research in the last decade that uh, that documents that 
students learning um, in in their home language as well as in English acquire English with about the same level of proficiency as English immersion, but they come out with two languages instead of one. Uh, so that's a definite benefit. And also objectively, we I think we all understand that in our global economy, we it's an asset for all kids to have more than one language. Other countries around the world really emphasize multilingualism, and here in the United States, we seem to eschew it. So there's no doubt that there was some lousy bilingual education uh, previously that where kids were just languishing in in uh, span mainly Spanish only classrooms. So we have to do it well. But uh, what Prop 58 does in my mind is just restores that flexibility and puts the decision about optimum pedagogy back in the school districts where it belongs. Optimum pedagogy that'd be a good name for a podcast. <laughs> and one of the things Proposition 58 is important for is this flexibility as you described. Right there's so many programs we've talked a lot about at Voice of San Diego, uh, Sherman Heights. And Sherman Heights has turned itself into a bilingual uh, program. And it's this is Sherman Heights Elementary. And in what was, you know, traditionally a, an area that was struggling as far as good educational facilities. And now Sherman is, is doing really well precisely because of this bilingual focus. Now, mm-hmm. let me just play devil, devil's advocate. What's wrong with sort of asking parents to to have to go through that waiver system? Well, uh, for one thing, it um, it puts it just puts up a barrier to school districts to implementing the program. So, for fa- uh, if parents opt out, then they need to have a regular program to opt into. So, Sherman, I believe, is a choice school because uh, then anyone who's there has essentially given that waiver by enrolling in the school. But if you want to do a dual language program in a regular school, you you have to have available a non dual language option in the same school for for the English learner parents who don't opt in. The other problem, um, which is a new way of thinking um, about it that um, uh, the SDSU professor raised for me is in her mind, it's inequitable. So English, uh, native English speakers, parents don't have to sign any kind of waiver in order to opt into dual language programs, but English learner parents do. So it cre- in, you know, her argument is that it creates this um, inequality that Prop 58 would fix. Yeah, and just to be clear, public schools are required and would remain required to teach English. Absolutely. The number one priority, I mean, I just want to be very clear about this, is for kids to master English. Every child in American schools needs to have mastery of English, and that needs to be the number one priority for English learners as well. So it's just a question of how best to support them to get that mastery and also this opportunity to support them to acquire literacy and mastery in their home language as well. Now, a lot of people might be thinking about some of these things saying, why do we vote on so many things like this? Well, this is a perfect example of things we have to vote on because the reason we have to vote on it is because it was voted on before. <laughs> so this right. is the effort. This would repeal basically Proposition 227 from 1998. And Proposition 227 is the reason, basically, it generally requires English learners to be taught. This is from the uh, Legislative Analyst's Office. It requires English language learners to be taught in English and restricts the use of bilingual programs. And so this is because that was voted in, it has to be voted out. And that's generally a principle you can apply to, by the way, most California edu- or California government things. If something was put in there by a vote, it must be taken out by a vote. And so this is one of those examples. And same thing, a lot of things are required to be on the ballot, like these bond measures. The 
the state is not allowed to borrow that much money without a vote. And so that's why that's on the ballot. Mm -hmm. So it's not just the legislators being unable to make controversial decisions. It's often that they actually are required to. Yeah. I mean, just as a contrast, though, for folks, I moved here from Washington State five years ago, and there are a lot of voter propositions in Washington State. But after just a couple of years, the legislature can legislate, uh, you know, can take out anything that voters put in by uh, proposition, which drives the voters nuts. But it also um, prevents some of this uh, some of this double voting on issues that we voted on before. We, we saw some polling on Proposition 58 a couple of weeks or months ago that was pretty negative that it was going that it was going down. But that that had almost to do. It seemed like a lot with just the way it was worded in the poll and now when you read actually the the ballot question that voters will face it seems to in other polls do a lot better yeah it's doing very it's doing very well in the polls now that poll that you and i saw uh six weeks or seven weeks ago it wasn't actually polling the language of the ballot and uh, the way it phrased it i would have answered (laughs) no also yeah so it's just a reminder of um, when you see a poll and it's if it doesn't make sense, then look at the question, how it was asked, because sometimes you'll figure out that it was asked inappropriately. Right. All right. Those are the state propositions that have to do with education. There are obviously many more. Again, go to our companion sister podcast, the San Diego Decides, for the complete rundown of 17 state ballot propositions. Let's talk about there's a bunch. There are 14 Basically, if you're a city of San Diego voter, for example, there are 14 others you're going to have to deal with, many of which are from the city of San Diego. Now, the city of San Diego has a number of charter changes on its ballot. And this is another example of things that have to go to the ballot to change. So if you want to change the uh, San Diego city charter, you have to um, go to the vote. And so one of those changes is Measure I. This is the San Diego High School lease. Now, you might not know it, but underneath San Diego High School in, you know, the upper downtown area of San Diego, there is, it's parkland. It is part of Balboa Park. And the city and the San Diego Unified School District signed a lease agreement in the 70s, in the mid-70s, for 50 years. Now, that lease agreement was supposed to make it so that, or... Um, opponents of Proposition I say that that lease agreement was basically 50 years for San Diego Unified School District to figure out another place for their school to go so that we could take this land back and make it part of the park. Mm -hmm. Now, that didn't happen, and so they are asking for an extension of the lease of, of this area. So I think what's interesting about this is it seems straightforward and it seems like something that they would obviously do, but but a lot of people have taken it to another level of there's a deeper principle involved that they they must, it's not that they oppose San Diego High or that they necessarily want San Diego High to leave, it's that they don't want this precedent to be set that you can just sort of hand off parkland like this. The San Diego City Charter says that to change this, lease or you would need a two-thirds vote of the public but to change the charter you only need a 50 percent vote and that's what's happening here ah. so it's a really interesting discussion hmm. about the um you know about 
the future of Balboa Park, about the principal involved at Parkland in the city of San Diego, and about the future of San Diego High School. I think if if you don't care that San Diego High School is there and you don't care about this broader principle about um, these, you know, about whether we should be able to change the charter to hand over Parkland, then just vote for it. But if this is something you want to look into more, uh, I would consider it. Now, there's a couple of resources. Uh, KPBS did a, a story recently called City Council Moves to Save San Diego High School when City Council Moves San Diego High School issue on the ballot. And, um, you know, basically, San Diego High, if this if this is voted down, has until 2024 to move. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, Councilman David Alvarez, who graduated from San Diego High, is a very strong advocate for Proposition or Measure I. He says the honest truth is that if the school district were going to build another school, they needed to get to work on that a long time ago when there was still land available. And they didn't. Hmm. I have a question. Is Roosevelt Middle also on Balboa Park land? I don't know. It seems like it is does doesn't it so i wonder if this charter amendment would affect uh roosevelt and what kind of uh arrangement they have you know you've really exposed me as somebody who doesn't know everything (laughs) i try to pretend like i do there it is now we know the truth (laughs) all right so that's the that's the city of san diego measure that has to do with education and it's a big one if it if it is voted down san diego unified school district is going to have an interesting few years ahead of it they will. So, speaking of San Diego Unified School District, it is overseen by five trustees. Mm-hmm. The five trustees each represent different parts of most of the city of San Diego. Not all of the city of San Diego is San Diego Unified School District. There are parts of the northern part of the city, and then, of course, San Isidro mm-hmm. is its own. And so, but basically... You know, Scott, you already said something interesting, which is that, that there are five trustees for San Diego Unified, the other big districts in uh, California expanded to seven trustees. Yeah. But San Diego stuck with the five. Yeah. And and I, I got to think they're going to address that at some point. Interestingly, speaking of charter changes, mm. the San Diego Unified School District is chartered by the city of San Diego's charter. And so you would change that through the city council putting something on the ballot mm. And then the voters would change that or an initiative could change the charter of the city of San Diego. And then um, it would apply, of course, to the governance of the San Diego Unified School District. So that's interesting. Mm -hmm. It is. So those five trustees oversee the schools that serve 130,000 students, many of whom are are about what 20,000, 16 to 20,000 are part of charter schools now Mm -hmm. independently operated, but still chartered by the school district and overseen by the school district. They, um, so those five represent their own neighborhood sort of districts, sub-districts, but, and here's an important part, when they do a primary election, it's just in those small neighborhood districts, but the runoff election in November is citywide. And so in the city of San Diego, in San Diego Unified School District, there are two candidates running to replace Marnie Foster in the sub-district that represents the southeastern part of the city of San Diego, Lachey Collins and Sharon Whitehurst-Payne. Lachey Collins and Sharon Whitehurst-Payne are, are vying for that runoff in a citywide election. So we have this odd situation where these people who want to 
do this job that pays them only $18,000 a year and healthcare benefits have to run a citywide campaign, basically a full citywide campaign, Mm -hmm. which is so hard. Right. It is so hard and so costly to run a a citywide campaign that you have to have major institutional support to even make it possible. And so that's going to be a really, really interesting race. We have done a lot of reporting about Lincoln High School in southeastern San Diego. It was rebuilt in 2007, and it is struggling big time. Uh, It has had several leadership changes since then. Enrollment, when it first reopened in 2007, was at a very high level. There were waiting lists to get in. Now enrollment has plummeted. The uh, a lot of the sort of big, you know, changes that were going to save it or rehabilitate it. At first, it was to chop it up into smaller schools, and then then there was this big push to do a middle college, which would allow the kids to take college courses at the school. And now those have evaporated away. All these big fixes and big plans and leadership changes have just left it in a really uh, tough situation. And so it will be the primary challenge of whoever's elected in that sub-district to oversee the, um, hopefully the next rehabilitation. Yeah. Although it's really the superintendent and her staff who oversee the rehabilitation of Lincoln, but the uh, school board member there will have a really important job to represent the voice of the community in, in that planning um, and in those plans. So uh, yeah, it's, it's a huge imperative and there's a, other a lot of other education need in that district so it's a really critical seat on the board so i highly recommend our mario Curran did a deep dive into the history of lincoln almost 10 years since the massive rebuild lincoln high is crippled by chaos anger and empty classrooms so check that out it's at voiceofsandiego.org i thought he did a great job got a lot of interesting um color about uh, about some of those leadership changes really and passionate ideas. voices in that article i oh. yeah So from the community. So Lachey Collins, I think she was endorsed by the Democratic Party and she's kind of supported by the the people that would call themselves reformers, uh, charter supporters, um, that sort of thing. And then on the other side, uh, Sharon Whitehurst Payne, she's sitting in the in the seat now. She um, was called the rookie of the year by her colleague, John Lee Evans, who says Mm -hmm. She is a star uh, and a, and somebody he wholeheartedly endorses to keep that seat. And uh, so she's, it'll be a very interesting race. Again, it, it really comes down to who recognizes names and, and who can get some citywide uh, advertisements out. Yep. I hope, I hope voters have a chance to hear from um, Lachey and Sharon and PolitiFest uh, featured Lachey came, but Sharon didn't. So, right. and I hope people can listen to that audio maybe or... Uh, no. Prolifus, that one's not up? Okay. Too bad. Um, we should have some more reporting at voicesandio.org. <laughs> Good. Soon. Good. All right. The other sort of major school board race, again, there's dozens and dozens of these things across the, the San Diego region. Well, sure, because every school district um, in every major even year election has they all have five seats. So either two or three seats are up. So every school district, every voter in San Diego will be voting for, um, school board members, um, on their ballot. So, uh, it's just a regular part of your ballot. And, um, it's, I I was really interested to find it. So there are 95 seats available right now. And I was really interested to see how many of them were uncontested and, um, over a fourth of them are uncontested. So you don't have any choice on your ballot for 28% of those 
95 open uh, school or can, you know, uh, not open school board seats, but school board seats that are up for election this time. But 75% are contested in some cases, lots of choices. And you mentioned that San Diego Unified is a, um, has that unique situation where you elect out of districts in the primary and then you it's at large in the main. So there are eight other districts that uh, elect out of districts only. So they actually don't compete and they don't have a primary race. Uh, oh, no, they do have a primary race. Sorry. So they would have race in the primary and get it down to two candidates for each of those districts. And then the rest of the districts vote still in those districts. The remaining school districts all vote at large. And so your ballot asks you to pick either two or three of the list of candidates um, that are in front of you. So different modes of electing school board members across the across the county. Right. So there's a lot (laughs) to choose from. We we've sort of forfeited the 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 responsibility to, to try to go through each of those. There's just too much to try to process there. And good luck. Uh, educating yourselves on that. But please, there's a lot of uh, voter guides out there. You can get a lot just by Googling and finding the the candidates' websites, most of whom have them. There's some pretty heated races in places like Encinitas and and Poway, and it'll it'll be very interesting. We also did a guide on all the Poway candidates. You can search for uh, Poway candidates for school board at voiceofsandiego.org since we've covered Poway in some depth about its... uh, it's its own unique leadership drama over the last few years. But one race in particular that have will have pretty significant influence is the race for the County Board of Education, which is also overseen by five trustees. Mm-hmm. And we saw a pretty interesting shift when two people running against incumbents won their seats outright in the primary election. They got more than 50% of the vote. Mark Powell who you might remember would not come on our show a few months ago. And you might remember Greg Robinson, who was the incumbent, came in. Mark Powell yes. won that seat. Mark came on by phone. He just wouldn't, That's right. he wouldn't go head to head with Greg Robinson. That's right. And Paulette Donnellan won her seat as well. And so that leaves a third contested seat, which is kind of a decisive vote, right? This is, um, if there are, two seats from the incumbents that were there already and then two seats now from these new insurgents, then there's this third, you know, uh, swing seat. And that's uh, now going to be decided between Rick Shea and Mark Weiland. Mark Weiland's name might be familiar. He's a former state senator. I think that's right. Yeah. And he is, uh, he's heavily backed. We remember this, this race broke down between those who supported uh, charter schools and then the American uh, Federation of Teachers, mm-hmm. which lambasted uh, Mark Powell in several uh, um, flyers, and I'm, I would assume is probably going at Mark Weiland, though I, I don't get some of those mailers. Obviously. I haven't gotten them yet. Hmm. Yeah, I'm in that district. You are? Yeah. So Mark Weiland and... Uh, I got a pro-Mark Weiland flyer, but not a nothing Was it anti. from the charters? I didn't. I didn't notice the sponsor. Come on! I know. I gotta look. That's I will rookie. look. <laughs> All right. So uh, that will be an interesting race. Uh, you'll want to look at on election night to see how that came out. All right. One thing to know about California state law is that in normal situations, it's impossible to raise taxes for a specific project. So for a stadium, for example, unless you get two thirds of the vote. Mm-hmm. 
So that's what the Chargers are dealing with, with their own Measure C in the city of San Diego, is that they want to raise a hotel room tax to pay for that, and they only need two-thirds of the vote, and it's going to be very difficult for them to get. One of the reforms the state made, however, is that you can identify specific things that you're going to raise a tax for, for building things for education facilities. And you can do that, and you only need 55% of the vote to pass. So, for instance, if you want to raise a parcel tax just to pay teachers, you would need to get two-thirds of the vote. So, if say, $100 per parcel in any kind of city like the city of San Diego, you would need to get two-thirds of the vote if you wanted to use that to pay for teachers. If you want to raise taxes, though, on properties to pay for construction bonds for schools, again, to pay... It basically allows the school district to borrow money and to pay that money back with this increase in property taxes. Then you only need 55% of the vote to pass. Now, there are, let's see, 10 school and community college construction bond measures on the ballot in San Diego County. None in the major city of San Diego, but a bunch in the surrounding areas. So a lot of really interesting. It's It's about as many as there were in 2012. Right. So, yeah, I was interested to know if this was a big batch or, you know, at least relative to 2012, it seems sort of regular to have 11 either community college districts or school districts putting up bond measures. Now, I think one thing interesting about this, these often pass. Very very rarely do they fail, especially, and it's no accident that it's on the ballot this year. They do these almost regularly every four years to coincide with the presidential election because there's such a turnout of voters that often the voters uh, uh, approve of those. So Proposition MM in the city of San Diego, San Diego schools, Proposition S in 2008, Proposition Z in 2012. Again, they they time that with those uh, surges of voter participation because they assume that the voters who come out for those elections are, are going to be more supportive. Mm-hmm. So these are often structured uh, based on assessed value. So if you have a, and this is important to know, your house might be worth $700,000, but if you bought it for $300,000, its assessed value is not going to be $700,000. Right. Its assessed value is probably only going to have inflated slightly from where you bought it. Right. Thanks and to Prop 13. Exactly. So if you bought a house in 1963 in Ocean Beach for $25,000, your your assessed value is still not much higher than that. Mm-hmm. And so the so when we talk about these assessed values, it's important to remember that it's not necessarily what your value of your home is if you were to sell it. So for example, Miracosta Community College District is doing measure MM. It's a four hundred and fifty million dollar bond. It's fourteen dollars and ninety nine cents. That's clever. <laughs> fourteen dollars and ninety nine cents per hundred thousand dollars in assessed value. So if you have a $300,000 assessed value home, times that by um, uh, times three to $15, and that's how much extra you'll pay every year. Yeah, about $45 a year. Every year. So that would show up as a line item on your property taxes. Mm -hmm. And so when Proposition Z happened, I remember in 2012, that was was $66 per $100,000 of assessed value on your home. That was, I felt that one. I mean, that was... uh, you know, three or four hundred dollars on the on the annual tax bill. That's that's not insignificant. Right. That's larger than any of the bonds that are on this year's ballot, with the exception of Bonsall, which probably has low assessed values in its district. So they have a sixty dollars per hundred thousand assessed value for a fifty eight million dollar capital project. 
but the others um, tend to be around the $25 to $30 per 100000 of assessed value. Um, that seems pretty typical. Now, these the, the, the problem with some of these is they get into, uh, you know, they, they list a bunch of projects that they'll do, but then they'll often, over time, change their priorities of those. So, for example, at the city of San Diego, San Diego Unified Schools, they've decided to prioritize air conditioning for all schools in the district over some other needs. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, even uh, schools right along the coast are getting air conditioning. And even though that wasn't discussed in the, in the proposition Z or proposition S measures, they write them vague enough that they can, that they can move some of those priorities. So that's a lot of the um, frustration with this sometimes. Now, the San Diego County Taxpayers Association has a pretty good list and report on each one. You'll want to read it with whatever you feel is the bias of the San Diego County Taxpayers Association, but they do endorse some and oppose others. So that's a pretty good uh, resource if you want to learn more about each one. I would read the um, the policies and, and the, the priorities that they lay out. And I would also decide if, if this burden is something that you feel comfortable handling and, and want to invest in the construction of local school bonds. Now, one thing that happens, they, they boost all of these and they they make the argument that some of these in, can can backfill sort of responsibilities to do major repairs on schools that the general fund of schools might have to take care of. And that then frees up them to pay money to, uh, to teachers if they're able to offload some of those dishes. And that was a big part of the argument for Proposition Z in the city in the city uh, sure. 2012. Yeah. I mean, generally speaking, our school, there's a lot of room to invest in our school buildings. And, um, as we know from several examples, Nice school buildings don't necessarily equal great education, but it can be really demoralizing for teachers and students to yeah. go to school every and distracting from their learning to go to school in facilities that are um, low quality or crumbling or leaking or whatever or it is. Or they're those mobile ones that are hot and don't have the yeah. air conditioning or something like that. Yeah. yeah. So voters tend to support these in 2012 in San Diego County. Um, seven of the 11 passed, but four were defeated. Two of them heartbreaking that were defeated were defeated with 54%. Just so just so 1% or less. Voters. Yeah. 1% or less shy of the 55% uh, uh, majority requirement. So, uh, you know, almost nine, but actually seven out of the 11 passed. So it's great that voters will support um, investing in schools generally, but you should, you know, do due diligence and, um, and make yourself familiar with what, what the projects are. And of course, we have um, built a practice out of uh, ferreting out some of the um, problems or prevarications or just uh, just issues with some of these bonds. And so that's uh, something we take seriously, but doesn't mean that some of these investments aren't needed. Well, I think that is, uh, that's a summary of all the things that are on your ballot that you might care about for education if you want more information you know, shoot us a note. I'd be glad to help you think about some of them or point you in the right direction. Yeah. Uh, my email at voice San Diego, Scott at voice of San org. And so what do you think? I think we did it. Dude, you know, make, make smart votes, folks, support schools, but you know, also hold them accountable. That's what the ballot box gives us the power to do. And with accountability being pushed more and more towards the local level out of the federal and state levels, uh, the, this opportunity to vote is a really important one. All right. And we will be back soon with another edition of the Voice San Diego and, and uh, I guess, Good Schools for All podcast. 
and we're going to get our own plans in ready soon. So stay tuned for a good season. Obviously, you've noticed it doesn't come out every week. We're shooting for three weeks out of every five or something like that. But uh, uh, it, we're, we're working to provide some good quality content over the next few months. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.